Many years ago, I met a guy at camp uh, who I made a bunch of assumptions about the first time I saw him. You know, my impressions were, he's a simple guy, kind of bookish, maybe probably naive. That was my way I saw him for about the first week until one day I walked into a, a room and there he is holding this amazing electric guitar and he isn't just holding it, he is some sort of guitar icon genius. That is Slash from Guns N' Roses, in case you're wondering. And that this guy could play everything that this guy could, right? And suddenly my mind's blown. Like, like who are you? And my, as I got to know, his name is Dave, as I got to know Dave, my, my, my misconceptions, my preconceived ideas about who he was and what he's about just continued to grow and grow. I, I realized not only was he a guitar genius, but he was gifted intellectually. He went on to get a PhD. Um, and very smart man. And in case I was tempted to think, hey, he's all about books and like just intellectual stuff, he was ridiculously comfortable on heavy farm machinery as well too. Like just every attempt that I had to try to put him in a box to be like, this is who Dave is, just constantly got challenged and he was so much more than my initial assumptions. And this story reminds me that there's often more to, the, to things that I think I already know. You know, whether or not it be how I understand people or my assessment of a current issue or my knowledge on a particular topic, the reality is that there's often multiple dimensions that can be understood. And if I take the time to explore them, what I might find is a richness uh, that I otherwise might have missed. Well, over the past little bit, we've been talking about shalom. And when we talk about, the, when we talk, hear the word shalom, we might have some initial things that come to mind uh, about how we understand shalom. But the thing about God's shalom is that it's got multiple dimensions to it that we ought to continually explore as followers of Jesus. Because it very well, we're going to find, is going to go beyond our initial understandings. And in fact, I think it's one of those concepts that grows with us. Now, as a, as a recap, shalom is a, is a Hebrew word that's often translated as the word peace in our English Bibles, and it's one of those key words uh, and images for salvation in Scripture. In Hebrew, it most commonly refers to a person being uninjured, safe, and sound. It's got a sense of wholeness to it. Now, in the New Testament, it's not written in Hebrew, it's written in Greek, and the word for peace there is about the conditions of law that result in blessing or prosperity. And while it can mean peaceful uh, conduct towards others, as in, I'm not going to cause you harm, like shalom, it, it, it's, this word for peace is, all, is an all-encompassing way of describing a vision for human flourishing with an emphasis on God's saving work through Jesus. See, shalom is about our complete well-being in all, and all of our relationships being put right. Shalom includes our reconciliation with God, it's something that we internalize. We can experience inner peace or inner God's shalom at work in us. And it's about what happens in our daily relationships with the people that we interact with each and every day. And so over the past few weeks, the focus of our teaching time has been about how we practice shalom in our daily relationships. And it, it, we've had... Um, We've particularly been looking at the reality that we, we live in times that seem to be divided and polarized, and so how can shalom speak to these times in which we live? Now, one of the realities or one of the dimensions to God's shalom is that it includes the practice of justice, and that's what we want to talk about this morning. 
In fact, if we have an understanding of what God and his peace, and that doesn't include God's heart for fairness and justice, we are actually really missing out on, a, on an essential aspect of who God is. See, the story of Scripture is not, about God, not simply about God forgiving sin so that we can have a pleasant afterlife, but it's about how God is bringing healing and wholeness to the brokenness that exists in our world. And if you're a follower of Jesus, our mission is not just to get people to say a little sinner's prayer, but it's to be a part of how God's kingdom of justice and love, his shalom, his shalom is brought into the life of our neighbors, into the lives of our family members, into our city and into our world. We get to be a part of this. But unfortunately, we are, are painfully aware that, there, that our world seems to be full of examples of unfairness and, just, and injustice, don't we? It doesn't take much to find these. For example, last week a news story broke about a young, a young black man named Tyre Nichols who was killed in an interaction with police uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. And unfortunately, a story like this has become somewhat normal. We've heard multiple stories over the last few years about people who have, who have died at the hands of police. And, and so unfortunately, it's it sort of become just a part of the narrative. But there's something about this story that has really outraged many people, and it's about how he died. We have somebody here who was no threat, somebody who was scared, who was beaten to death by police. And there's no possible justification for what happened here. It was prolonged, it was angry, it was cruel. And I really hope you didn't stop to watch the video that was circulating. It was clearly an abuse of power, and it was an example of systemic racism. And the fact that it happened should make everybody angry. Now, my point in bringing this up as an example is not to say that all police are bad. That's, that's not true. But, it is, it, but this is just one way that we see injustice happening in our world. And here we have an institution and people that we're supposed to be able to trust, right? We want to tell our kids that they can trust the police. And here, though, they're doing something very, very wrong. And this is just one example. Unfortunately, themes of exploitation, manipulation, abuse of power, and other things seem to be far more normal than we would like. And they seem to be present at the high levels of society. They seem to be present in our institutions, and they also seem to be present in our daily relationships. And so there's something in our hearts that, when we hear these stories, is likely groaning for, think, for these wrongs to be made right. And so this morning, I want us to think about how this, how these groanings connect with our sermon series on shalom. Because the reality is that shalom contains a sense of justice and, and contains a sense of fairness. And in those moments when we are feeling the ache that something isn't right, or when we feel an anger welling up inside of us because someone is being taken advantage of, or when we are heartbroken by the story of a neighbor who's having trouble making ends meet, I'm going to suggest that what we're longing for in those moments is for the justice of God's shalom to be real. And perhaps we're even being prompted to ask, how can we be a part of bringing the shalom to life? Now, when we talk about justice, we could spend a bunch of time talking about things at a high level, at a, uh, talking about the big systemic type issues. And while there is a lot of value in having those discussions, our focus this morning is going to be what does it mean for us to practice justice, uh, the justice of shalom in our own lives as individuals on a relational level. And so that's where we're going to end our time uh, this morning. 
But our big idea is that we practice shalom when we pursue fairness, when we pursue justice in our relationships. Now, as we begin uh, this morning, we, we need to appreciate that so many of the laws that we read in the Old Testament, and usually these are the laws that we skip over because we aren't sure what to do with, so many of these laws, you don't skip over them. I'm the only one that skips over them, right? <laughs> so many of these laws are about how we are to treat other people. Yeah, they make us scratch our heads because we're trying to figure out what are we supposed to do with these things in 2023. Uh, They might seem odd, but in their context, they are about God's people standing out from the nations around them. And one of the ways that they were to stand out from the nations around them was in how they treated the most vulnerable people. See, because of the laws that God gave his people, Israel was a safer place to be. If you were a woman, a child, if you were poor, if you were a foreigner... See, among God's people, they had rights, and they were provided for in ways that didn't exist in some other places. And this is because each and every person was understood to be made in the divine image of God, and the divine image of God is to be honored. And so that is the expectation of God's people in the Old Testament, and we see this continued into the New Testament as people like James tells us that what God really expects of of his people is that they will take care of the weak and the vulnerable. In James chapter 1, James writes, Religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless as this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress. You know, one of the things that the last couple of years of pandemic restrictions have shown me is how easily I can be swayed uh, by the things that I want from doing the things that I might think are right. I can be swayed from doing the things that I think are right by the things that I want to do, I want to experience, whatever. Do you remember way back when, when we had those restrictions placed on us about how many people we were supposed to be able to be with, both in our homes and elsewhere? Do you remember that fun time when you were trying to organize a family gathering and you're doing a head count and all that? Yeah, good times, eh? Yeah, I can remember when, they, when these restrictions came up and I, I'd look at other people and, I, and I, when I looked at what other people were doing, I was a big advocate that the responsible thing to do was to adhere to what their capacity limit was. But when it came to what we wanted to do as a family, my convictions, unsurprisingly, were not nearly as strong. See, because I wanted to do something, I could come up with all sorts of justifications why it was actually okay to do something that otherwise I would have said somebody else shouldn't have done. I'm sure I'm the only one in this room who did this. You know, here's the thing. When it comes to the things that we want, we can find ourselves justifying things that otherwise we might say are unfair or unwise or unjust. You know, when faced with the potential and the promises of things like power and influence and wealth and pleasures and comforts, you know, when we, when we face these things, we can find ourselves justifying all sorts of things and even losing sight of what God might want for us and even perhaps justifying the poor treatment of those around us. And I think that this is what happened to God's people in the Old Testament. They lost sight of how God was calling them to be different, and instead they found themselves being like everybody else. And this is why we hear God critiquing his people through the prophets. And we're going to look at a verse from the book of Micah in a moment. But in the book of Micah, God tells his people that their worship is empty, and, that, and, and he doesn't want anything to do with it. And it's because they've been unfaithful to him, and the symptom of their unfaithfulness is in how they've been treating others. See, they'd made life hard for other people. 
they'd become consumed with getting more at the expense of other people. They've ripped off people and they hadn't been fair in their business dealings. And their systems, systems had been uh, manipulated to benefit the, 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 the rich and exploit the poor. And God says, I'm not happy about that. I don't want your worship if that's what you're going to do. I want, what I want you to do is I want you to do what you know is right. And so if we look at Micah chapter 6, verse 8, we read this. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And I think that these verses can help us as we pursue what does it mean for us to live the justice of God, shalom. And it starts simply with the fact that God provides us with the standard of what is right. You know, beginning of Micah uh, 6 verse 8 here, God is tell, tells his people that, that they know, you know, God has shown you what is good. It should be obvious how you treat people. It should be obvious what is good because you know what? God has shown them. He's shown you what it looks like. He has imprinted it in a natural sense on our hearts, the sense of right and wrong, and he has taught us about it through Scripture. Again, the Old Testament laws speak quite a bit about how, how we are to treat others. What does it mean to treat others justly? And as we look at the life and teachings of Jesus, uh, you, and if we're willing to pay attention to what God is saying through the life and teachings of Jesus, it should be plain to us there as well. You know, that God instructs us to love one another to care for the individual, to put ourselves second. The standard of justice, the standard of what is good, what is right, what is fair, is to come from God. But again, we can lose sight of this, can't we? Instead, we can have our ability to perceive what is right and wrong become clouded by all sorts of things. Here's a, another painful example. One of the themes that's been that we've witnessed over the past couple of years are the stories of abuse that have taken place in Christian communities. Now, as if that, the fact that that has happened is not bad enough, what has made things work, worse is the ways in which some of these communities haven't taken these allegations seriously enough. Sometimes pretending that these stories don't exist or other times acting to silence victims. Or they have protected abusers at the expense of victims. Now, I think objective outsiders would look at these situations and they would say that these responses are wrong because they keep victimizing people who have already been hurt. And they, don't, they aren't taking the proper steps to make things right. But to those on the inside, what complicates things is our commitment to the institution or maybe to a particular leader. And our attachment gets in the way of us being able to see what is good, what is right, what is fair, what is just in these circumstances. And the end result can be that we don't act as justly as we ought to. You know, when our default is to take a defensive, a defensive posture to protect ourselves or, uh, or, or something that we care about at the expense of others, when our default position is to take a defensive posture, we've lost sight of God's heart. We have lost sight of what God has shown us to be good, and, and we are not ready to engage in the justice of God's shalom. And so we're invited to look to God to say, God, what is right? Show us what is right. But through the prophet Micah, God's, God tells us this, that he expects his people to allow justice to shape our lives. 
You know, over the past few weeks, uh, I was off, off last week or two weeks ago now, whatever, I was off, and I, I spent some time uh, reading over the, the minor prophets in my, in my quiet time, and it, it was good. But this theme of justice uh, keeps coming up as you read through the minor prophets. And as I read it, I found myself feeling kind of uncomfortable, honestly, uh, because as much as we want justice to feel good, as much as we want it to feel good, there's another side to justice. You know, justice is good news for those who have been victims of injustice. Justice is good news for the vulnerable and people who are in need of help. Justice is good news for people whose circumstances need to be turned around. But if we are wise, we will recognize that for justice to happen, it might require something of us. It might require that we change the assumptions that we have about other people. Or it might change the way that we think about the goals that we have for our lives. Justice might change our vacation plans. It might require that we acknowledge that we've been wrong and seek to make reparations and seek forgiveness. You know, justice isn't just a good idea. It actually requires something of us, particularly if we are the people who've been causing injustice to take place in the first place. But when we give ourselves to the work of justice, this is where shalom is practiced. Now, there's one last thing that I want to point out about how to live justly, and it's about our attitude. And, in, and it's mentioned in, this, in the verse that we read already. And that is that God expects his people to have an attitude of mercy and humility. You know, as God uh, talks to his people what, to ex- what, what he expects of them, what he expects of us, really, uh, he adds two things to what it means to act justly, and he describes this attitude that we have. He says that we are to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. Love mercy and to walk humbly. You know, sometimes we find ourselves thinking, you know, well, you know, that person kind of had it coming, right? Or why can't they just do something to help themselves out? We can have thoughts like that when, when we are faced with somebody who's going through a difficult time or going through some sort of hardship. Or maybe we'll find ourselves withholding somebody and something until somebody gets their act together. But the call to mercy invites us to be better than those responses, See, assistance is not to be delivered reluctantly or or judgmentally, but it's a a spirit of of generosity and compassion and grace and and even loyalty is a part of what it means to act mercifully towards others. You know, there might be times when our advocacy um, results in somebody else being given justice begrudgingly, but that should never be our disposition. Rather, we give freely because we have freely received from God. Now, other times, we might find ourselves acting to help someone with selfish motivations. You know, for some of us, we have kind of a hero complex. Uh, We see ourselves as the benefactors of the people who can't help themselves, and uh, we have an elevated view of ourselves as a a result. Now, I don't think that we, uh, we start out that way. I don't think that we mean to have that. But over time, it can happen because we recognize the impact that our means and our our influence can have, and what can grow in us is a self-centeredness, even as we are helping other people. But God calls us to act out justice with humility. And humility is not about having a poor self, uh, sense of self-esteem, but it's about having an accurate understanding of ourselves. And it's an accurate understanding of ourselves in light of who God is. In fact, humility here is about having our lives in alignment with God and his ways and what God thinks is good. 
And this humility will grow in us an awareness of others and, and, and their situations and the unfairnesses or injustices that they might be, be, be experiencing and will grow in us a, a sense of how God has equipped us to be involved in their lives. I want to move now into uh, our application time this morning, and I want to acknowledge, again, that this is a really big topic that is, could be quite overwhelming. Um, again, as I was reading through the prophets uh, and, and how God was using the prophets to talk about uh, injustice, and I found myself feeling really uncomfortable. Because their critique of, of excess and abuses of power and exploitation, they sound kind of familiar, and, a, and there's a real sense that as a North American, these words could be aimed at us. You know, we live in a society that exploits cheap labor in other countries. Our taxes can fund violence. And by and large, we, we act like we're trying to make those who are poor, we're, we're, we want them just to disappear. But as an individual, you know, when I think about all that, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do. In fact, I can find myself feeling quite paralyzed by the size of what's in front of us, what's going on in our world. You know, as we look at the example of the early church, I don't, I don't think we see Christians trying to tackle societal change at high levels. Because you know what? They couldn't. They didn't have the influence. They were a marginalized group. They were relatively small. They were persecuted. Instead, there was a smallness that started in homes, started among families, with neighbors, reaching out to those uh, with needs to the best of their ability. There was a smallness there, and that was the movement that took off. Now, does it mean that we shouldn't use our influence to affect change at a high level if we can? No, not at all. But it, it is a reminder that it starts with you and I uh, in the opportunities and the relationships that are right in front of us. That we can do things to bring fairness and justice. We can do things to bring shalom to life in the ordinariness of our own lives. And so here's a few ideas in no particular order before we wrap up this morning. You know, maybe this week we'll recognize that somebody's voice is being marginalized in a conversation at work or at school or among our friends. And, you know, when we make an effort to make sure that they are welcome at the table and that they are being heard, we're doing the work of justice. Here's another one. You know, there are systems that, that exist in our society that can be hard to access by the people who need it most. And, and that could be true for a variety of reasons. It could be language barriers. It could be uh, age. It could be comfortable, be comfortable with technology. It could be cognitive abilities. It could be for a whole variety of reasons that people really struggle to access health, the health uh, um, resources they need, the mental health resources they need, the financial resources they need, whatever. People can really struggle to access this, the things that they need that are supposed to be available to them, but it seems like things are the deck stacked against them. One of the things that we can do is when we recognize that is to come alongside and to help people navigate through a system that can be very confusing. You know, a few weeks ago, I overheard a woman at the bank uh, struggling to understand how she was supposed to access her finances at that bank. And, I, and the, the struggle was real for two reasons. One, English was not her first language. And second of all, the explanation was really difficult to understand for those of us who, whose English was the, first, was the first language. It was just, she wasn't going to be able to access her bank account. And it wasn't until a third party intervened and helped navigate that situation that that woman finally was able to access what was hers. We can do that for people. You know, if we're an employer or we're in a management position, we can work for justice when we ensure that the people that work under us have what they need and are fairly compensated. Or here's something that we talked about at junior high this week, just on Thursday night. 
You know, as we were talking about fairness, we talked about hey, who are the people at your school that you see are being treated unfairly, and we were, we were just talking about that a little bit. One of the things that they recognized, that they named, is that often the people who are being treated unfairly are marginalized. They are left alone. They are isolated. They aren't allowed to sit with everybody else. And that's not just a junior high thing. You know, often those who are, who are suffering injustice and unfairness, they are marginalized, and they are left alone to their own devices. One of the ways that we can bring fairness into their lives is by being the person who goes to them. We see Jesus doing that. Here's another one. This month is Black History Month. And there are plenty of opportunities for us to learn about one community in our society that has struggled with, it, with justice and injustice. When we make time to listen and to learn, we are participating in God's shalom and God's justice. Lastly, our diaper drive, okay? You know, there are people in our community who are choosing between hygiene items for their kids or food for their kids to eat. That is not fair. That is not justice. That should not be a decision anybody has to make. We can do something about this by being like, here's a case of diapers. I would like to see with this, with this, with this drive that we collect more diapers, so many diapers that they've got a stockpile of diapers for six months over there. We can do this. This is one way that as a church community, we can be practicing justice and bringing justice and fairness and God's love and shalom to our neighbors. To close, I'll invite us to, this week to be looking for opportunities for us to practice, to bring this justice, to bring this shalom, fairness to life and our relationships this week. We have plenty of opportunities. We've got chance, opportunities to do this. We can do this. We can do this together. We can do this as individuals. But these little acts that we do are a part of how God's kingdom comes to earth as it is in heaven. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, thank you so much for today. And Lord, for the opportunities to worship, the opportunities to be together. Lord, for the opportunities to be, be challenged um, God, we live in a world that uh, so often feels unjust in a whole variety of ways. And God, often we don't know what to do about it. Lord, this morning, would you just speak to us and just give us a, a next step? That, Lord, even though there are a lot of unanswered questions out there, that we might feel confident that we can do something today, we can do something this week, just to make the world a little bit more just with the people that we are, are living with, the people that we work with, the people we go to school with. God, we're grateful that we get to be a part of what you are doing. Lord, it's a, it's, a big, it's a big calling. And so, God, we in this moment, we are looking to you and we're saying, God, would you give us your heart? Would you show us what is good? Would you give us the strength to do it, even when it's not popular? Lord, we look forward to what you are doing in us and in our community and in this world. In your name we pray. Amen. Just before I dismiss you this morning, this is the end of our Shalom series. We could have gone on for weeks and weeks and weeks, but we got to call it quits at some point. One of the realities of who we are as a church right now is that every week we look around and we are getting to know new people. That is so cool. But one of the comments that we are getting is, we don't know much about West Heights. We don't know much about this Be in Christ denomination that we are a part of. And so the next two weeks, we have just kind of carved out uh, two weeks to do a mini-series that's sort of just explaining, you know, this is who we are, or this is what we're about, this is what's important to us. It's going to take more than two weeks, but we've only got two weeks' time to do that. Um, but it's just a, this whole topic of shalom really fits into who we are as a, as a church community uh, as well. But if you're somebody who's been trying to figure out what's this church like, 
Chili Cook-Off is one really good example. We're a little weird, and we're going to try to explain this a little bit more serious stuff over the next couple weeks. Uh, Tim's doing a dance. That's the weirdness part. No, that's the normal stuff coming. Um, and we hope that you will be able to continue to get to know everybody. And if you've been here for a long time, maybe this is just a really good refresher, or maybe you'll catch me saying something completely wrong, in which case you can help me learn. How about that? Anyways, folks, thanks for joining us this morning. Have a great week. And uh, yeah, we'll see you later. <laughs>